Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. season review for you. We're going to look at a, a couple of seasons really and we're going to reflect on the first two seasons at the Stadium of Light. So that's 1997-98 and 1998-99. Thanks to Lee Howie for joining us to um, review the previous season, which was the last season at Broker Park, but he was sold this summer, so it's no good having him back on as a guest to talk about that. He went <laughs> off to Burnley with uh, Chris Waddle, who... I remember being good about leaving, but he went off to manage Burnley, didn't he? Player manager. And he took Lee Harry with him. Lee Harry says he was pissed and got persuaded to go to Burnley. So there you go. Um, joining us to talk about this tonight, who have I got? I've got Gareth Barker. Hello, Gareth. All right. Hello, Craig Clark. Hiya, Stephen. And Richard Easterbrook. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Hi. yeah, thanks. And last but certainly not least, Kevin Phillips, former Sunderland fight striker, is joining us to talk about uh, these seasons. You okay, Kevin? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Well, like I said, we'll try to go over um, some stuff. Some people might have already listened to the Foundation uh, YouTube they put out the other day, but we'll have a good old chat and see where it takes us. So, um, jumping straight into this, you I know you guys have been doing the Premier Passion Review podcast, which will be very good. Make sure you check them out. When you Before you came to Sunderland, um, no, so you'll have been at Sunderland when this was on, Kevin, and the Premier Passions. Yeah, you would have been playing by this point. Did the players watch uh, it? I, I, I seen, yeah, the first one when it was at Roken. No, I wasn't. I think I just signed when they were doing the second bit. I, it's that long ago. I can't really remember. I can't remember what I did last week. Let alone what you watched on terrestrial TV twenty hours ago. Right. Um, Okay, lads, just to mean, where were people with their, in their lives at this point? This was a big symbolic summer for Sunderland, um, leaving Rocker Park, got in the state of light. It was a year out of school, that's why I'll always remember this summer as the best summer of my life, to be honest. And I, I, missed, I missed the Ajax game because I was in Ibiza, um, which I remember being a little bit gutted about, but you know, I'm not going to complain too much about being in Ibiza, are you? Are you you're a bit younger than me, aren't you? So you're still in school. I was oh, at the oh. yeah. Definitely still at school. I think I was 13 or 14. Like, I, I, what I remember is the day, the day before the Ajax game, um, we still hadn't had our tickets delivered. So it was like a load of people who didn't get the tickets for the game. So we all had to go and queue up at, this, at the, the academy. Not the academy, sorry, the Black Cat's house even. And uh, like, there was loads of people there. Loads of people there. Um, and we were just standing there, like, and there was an absolute. It was just a mess. So, 
remember being in the Lake District, got back, it was on my birthday, and I stood in a queue for four hours on the on the, the night before to try and get me ticket for the Ajax game. Because they hadn't put, like, I think they had, like, they hadn't even put the stickers on the, the numbers on the seats. And I mean, even, like, in the season, we had season tickets, but our season tickets hadn't arrived. And we had to go to, like, what was the visitor centre to pick our tickets up for the game before every game for the first, like, five games of the season or something because they were, like, knocked up the ticket and that much. Yeah. Not like Sunderland have bad admin, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was taking part in the, uh, the opening ceremony. So I was, I was in the stadium, like, two, two three days before it actually opened, um, uh, doing choreography on the pitch with, um, with, with the... With a view to be dancing with status quo when uh, when they arrived. I mean, this is an insight. I wasn't expecting it here. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? You were uh, you were dancing, Richard. Yeah, yeah. Our school was um, was asked <laughs> to take part in the, the opening ceremony, so um, it was like a boot camp for about three weeks before <laughs> before the stadium opens. We were, we were training on an all weather pitch at school, doing like choreography. Um, we had to burst onto the pitch when Ready to Go was played for the first time. Wow. Um, I might have heard this story before. Cool. No, you've kept this one quiet, haven't you? <laughs> well, it's extraordinary. <laughs> there's very little pictorial evidence exists. Of Unfortunately, which was fully filmed. But yeah, we Richard's idea with the whole yeah, situation. Well, <clears throat> I think we do pop up on uh, on the new pre- like the the update Trump, Premier, Premier Pressures. Like the, the, yeah, Premier Pressures. Yeah, there's a there's a. I'll, you'll probably see me at, like the back of a shot because. Um, I try to avoid the camera. Well, but when um, when when status quo came down by helicopter, I was like the second row in, and I had to pretend to play guitar with a foam finger. You know the foam <laughs> fingers that were popular in the night. Yeah, they were very popular at Middlesbrough, weren't yeah. they? They loved them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but when when the game actually kicked off, we had to go into a marquee just out outside the stadium, and uh, we all gathered round a radio. Which was like attached to a to a, a pole in the marquee, just to listen to the game. We didn't see it all get kicked at all. Uh, wow. so was, I'm sure it was a great occasion, but I only, I only ever saw the like the highlights of that game like a, a couple of months ago. Wow, I had no had well, no recollection of, of of what happened. Incredible. I, I remember. We are grown ups now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Stories about when we were kids. Just about. I never went to that game. I, was, I don't know why. We, me, me and my dad and that didn't go. Can't can't explain why we didn't bother. But went to every game after in the league, so that I suppose that was what counted. Like I was in the Premier Concourse well, think... because of that. Now we tickets up. We got tickets in the Premier Concourse, so we were up in the. In, <clears throat> that was my first experience of the of the uh, stadium of light. Anyway, carry on. Right. <laughs> I, I, think, Kevin, um, Kevin, I think Kevin can probably offer a little bit more insight in what it was like that time in week. And I mean, we've heard enough about well, Richard Bourne. Did he dance the state school? Yeah, I think uh, uh, some state school might actually top everything. I've, uh, I listen, I've, dan- I've danced the state school quite a bit over the years when I've had a few Listening to your stories, then you, you have really made me feel old saying the age of the road and the started. So. But now you're right. It was um, for me, you know, one of the biggest things, the biggest attraction, the biggest buzzes of, of my time. Well, obviously, when I joined Sunderland, was the chance of playing in that amazing stadium. Uh, and, and of course, we trained there during the week to get a feel for the for the for what it was going to be like. And, and the actual evening, you know, it was amazing. 
you know, it was virtually a sellout with the noise, the atmosphere. And then, of course, when status quo <clears> flew in, all the lads were in the tunnel watching. And you could feel the atmosphere building. And, and it was it was just an incredible, incredible evening. And, uh, you know, for me to be able to pull on that shirt and go and get a taste of what was to come was, was quite remarkable. Um, it, the only real memory I remember of the night was I, I, I think I only played for about an hour. And I went in and had an early shower. And I was the only one in the shower room. And I put my leg up on the pipe to wash my leg. And because the stadium was still new, it wasn't completely finished. The pipe come off the wall. Oh. And it absolutely started flooding the changing room. And I, was oh, so, I didn't know wow. what to do. I was so nervous. I didn't know what to say. Anyway, I put, put a towel around me. I ran outside and I found a maintenance guy. But by the time we went back in to have a look at it, the water was coming into the dressing room. So my recollection that night, I nearly ruined the first team dressing room on the first of- <laughs> first appearance at the stadium of life, but it was, uh, it, wow. was uh, uh, it was a remarkable night to be honest. Incredible. I mean, it's well documented, Kevin, that you nearly went to Ipswich uh, before Sunderland. We will not do the, the story about being in, in the car again. But what what was Sunderland to you? So growing up, liking football, what what what, what did Sunderland mean to you as a person, obviously from somebody outside the area? Um, I, I have to be honest. You know, I didn't pay particular attention to you know, clubs that far north, you know, being a, being brought up near London and, and a lot of time in London, uh, following Arsenal as a young kid, you know, when you're growing up, all I ever wanted to do was be a footballer. So I, I, would, I would spend most of my time in the street, kicking the ball around, playing with my mates, not particularly watching football a lot on TV. So I never took a real interest in, in any Northern teams, if I was being totally honest. It was only really till I started my professional career at Watford, you start analysing then the clubs you're going to come up against. And, you know, you, you know the, the story of when I first travelled up north with Watford. It's, you know, I've said it so many times over the years. It was an eye-opener for me. Um, so then it was really, it was only really then that it really sunk in, you know, how passionate, I, that my first appearance at Roker, how passionate, and at Ayrson Park as well, when I played there, how passionate, the, you know, the North East supporters were. I got a real good feel for it then. But as a kid, not a lot, if I'm being honest. And did did you care about who was already at the club? Did Peter Reid tell you what what he wanted from you? Like I'm thinking about the relationship with Niall Quinn, or did that was that something that you know you just thought I'll say what I say when I get there? Or was it a factor in your decision? No, nothing like that was mentioned. Uh, it was probably only two or three players I'd heard of: at Sunderland, of Quinny, Lee Clark, uh, Kevin Ball. <coughs> you know, there wasn't too many players that I'd, I'd heard of. Um, it wasn't a factor in, in me signing. I think Peter Reid didn't really give me a chance to speak. It was literally, you're going to sign. <laughs> um, I think the, the attraction for me was, of course, knowing that you'd just come out of the Premier League, you're moving to a brand new stadium. I got a taste of the passion of the supporters, you know, when I played at Roker Park. So, you know, and, it, and I think it was for me in my personal life, I'd lost my dad not too long before. And I felt like I needed to move away to start a new life. We were due our first child. So everything just fell into place. So no, actually, there was nothing spoke about how I was going to fit into Peter Reid's side or what system or who I was playing with. It was literally, Reedy was desperate to sign me. And, and it, it, it literally only took about an hour to agree the contract and get it signed, which is unusual. I mean, before we, we talk about the Man City game, um, which was, was the first league game at the Stadium of Light, it's interesting because I mentioned I was in Ibiza um, and I was in Ibiza for the first game of the season when we played Sheffield United away and I remember being really excited and stuff and 
it's interesting how we, we consume news now and it comes straight through and you couldn't back then but yet news had still got to me I remember knowing that you were suspended for the game and I remember the fume that Peter Reid only played one up front that day I don't know if people can remember that but it was a massive thing where we'd been the whole season before playing one up front and the fans didn't like it and we got beat quite comfortably that game and it was a little bit of deja vu wasn't it going into a new season it's not what we wanted at all to start could people remember that game? Or are you too young? Maybe me and Kevin The Sheffield United yeah. game. I remember yeah. when it was on Sky, wasn't it? When we obviously lost yeah. 2 0. It was like a complete. Well. We were shocked, we? Well, yeah. I mean, it yeah. was just one of those where you're like, you, you come down and there is obviously that renewed that renewed excitement isn't it when you like the new season starts and you you know you've got that optimism and obviously when you were had the the game the week after to come but yeah but it was it was just a flat performance and you know the only thing I remember about that is that got the gold away kit and uh that like the debut of that that gold away kit and people talking about how horrible it was. So. <laughs> kind of grown on me over the years that kit. I like I like it now that I look back on it. I didn't like it. Anymore. Never liked it. I think it didn't help in, in our in our preparation for that game. Uh, obviously, I didn't tell Peter Reed that I was suspended until the Thursday, I think, <laughs> or the Wednesday before the game. So you know, we did preparation. I I completely forgot that I was suspended. It was only my agent that told me. So I had to be probably the most nervous I'd ever been in front of Peter Reid. I had to go and tell him that I was suspended. But we'd already done some teamwork with two up front for the game. I think that was probably one of the reasons why Reedy opted for the one striker to go with that game. And then you knew I was ready for the Man City game afterwards. So you can blame me for the Sheffield United game. Because <laughs> Reedy has done many times. <laughs> Yeah. It's funny because like it must have been between the Sheffield United game and the Man City game. My sister <clears> used to, I mean, my dad and my sister used to go to all the reserve games, and she saw you with Chris Byrne. I don't know who we were playing in the reserves, but you must have been there spectating. And obviously, you would have been an unknown quantity because you didn't play in the Sheffield United game. Obviously, had made your debut against Man City yet, and uh, she always regrets, I think, not coming over and like getting an autograph and stuff. Because <laughs> I suppose it wasn't long before you couldn't go and watch reserve games. Uh, because you would have probably got yeah. more. No, you, you're right. It was, um, yeah, of course, you know, when I signed, I played 60 minutes in the Ajax game. I don't remember playing particularly well, but I read a few, you know, articles saying that, you know, this lad looks lively. Uh, a few of the sports saying, who is he? You know, where's he? Blah, blah, blah. So, you know, there wasn't the pressure on me really to, to, to perform. I put pressure on myself as I always did. Um, but, you know, I, I was gutted, of course, to miss a Sheffield United game, but I couldn't wait to, to show everyone what I was about, you know, in, in the Man City game. And, you know, it turned out to be a crazy... I think it was on the Friday night, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah, was Friday yeah, night, yeah. yeah. Amazing, amazing night. And to, and to get the goal, you know, to get me off and running was a massive, you know, massive boost for me. So, but you're right, yeah. You know, I think after the first probably two or three months, you're right, I probably wasn't able to go to reserve games because... <laughs> You know, I probably wouldn't have been able to watch the game. Let's put it that way. No, I don't think so. In, uh, Lee, <laughs> Lee Clark was the was the was the name signing that summer, wasn't he? Um, Gareth just mentioned, oh no, Craig's just mentioned Chris Byrne there. Yeah, he's an interesting one, Kevin, because he he was brilliant that game from memory, and everybody was thinking, oh really? God, who's this? Who's this guy we've got here? And then did he go and hold the post office up or something? 
Wow. I think that was a while later, wasn't it? <laughs> I, 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 I share the Next hotel week. with Chris. We, we stayed in the Washington, uh, I think it was the Moat House in Washington, and uh, where the golf course is. And lovely kid, but you could tell, you know, he had his issue, his off-field issues. Yeah, you're right, you know, he, he was a great footballer, had a wonderful left foot, um, but, you know, he had his issues off the pitch. And, you know, I think that one particular night, I think undercover police had been in our hotel for a couple of days and, and he got pulled out of, I think it was the Oxford game on a, a yeah. midweek match where yeah. he was due to play, but we had to pull him out of the game because he had these issues. He was involved in stuff he wasn't should, shouldn't have been. And it's a shame because he was um, he was a good player. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, if you've got issues like he did off the pitch, it can affect you on it. And, you know, unfortunately, it never really happened for Chris. But you're right, you know, in that game, he was excellent. A real, real good player. It's a very eloquent way of saying he was a Roman, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's how will that game be in your, just go down in your memory, Kevin? Obviously, your score was six minutes left after it looked like we were going to draw the game, which I don't know what the fan mood would have been like. It would have been a massive anti-climax yeah. if we had managed to win that game. Yeah, I think it it would have, and you're right. You know, it was a. I remember it. It was a foggy, misty night. Uh, you know, Man City are a good side, and you're right. It looked like it was going to be a stalemate, a wonderful draw, and I was desperate to get on the score sheet. And I think I, it was just being in the right place at the right time with it. With it. I wouldn't say it was attacking, but you know, with Baldy, I think the keeper saved it from from Kevin Ball, and I was on hand to just smash it in the net. And I just remember running over to that far left hand corner and, and diving on the front. And uh, I, I kind of quickly realised, literally about a week after, you know, what the area was like, how passionate, because I went to, to the dentist to get my teeth done. And as I walked into the reception, there was a picture of me on the wall scoring that goal as I ran off into the corner, and you could see my teeth. And it said on the pit underneath, and you can have teeth like this as well. And it, I thought it was a picture of me just scoring a cup. I didn't think my teeth were that nice, but uh, I just thought within days, you know, there's a picture of me on the dentist. And I just thought it was just, you know, I got a sense then that, you know, something truly, you know, unbelievable was unfolding pretty quickly. And is that a real thing, Kevin? Because we hear about it all the time. Players don't come up here and then just, they just don't realise it's 24-7 here and, and the scale of the interest. Yeah, 100%. It's because it's, you know, you're either red or white, black or white, you know, within because I lived in the Durham area and, and it's predominantly Newcastle or Sunderland. So, you know, no matter where you, you know, where I live now in the Birmingham area, you can disappear in Birmingham and, and you know, people, a lot of people are not bothered about football, but up there they live, breathe, you know, the game, as, as you guys well know. Uh, so it was, you know, it was, it was becoming... I wouldn't say impossible to go out as time went on, but you just had to be careful where you went and what you was doing and what you were saying to people, even back then. So, yeah, you don't realise until you live in the area and play for one of those clubs how passionate, you know, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch, these supporters are. It was a stuttering start, wasn't it? The stadium wasn't full initially. and Peter Reid hadn't really brought in that attacking style yet. And we're going to go on to the famous... The famous Reading game in October. Not just <laughs> the, weather's, score, yeah. uh, the weather's the singles talking about it. But the thing is, well, we've got we've got Kevin here to talk about it. It's a great, he's got a great story about this as well. Um, another team for this game then. So, uh, Lionel Perez in goal, fullbacks Chris Maid and Martin Scott, centre halves Richard Ord, Andy Melville, uh, midfield Lee Clark and Darren Williams, uh, Kevin Ball, Martin Smith, 
and then Mickey Gray and John Mullins playing, so I'm not sure what's going on. He played Martin Smith up front for a bit, didn't he? So I think Mullins and Smith are up front. And that, that's that's the team. Kevin and Alex Ray and our mate Chris Byrne uh, are on the bench. I was We often drop YouTube uh, video of this, but I couldn't find any footage of this game whatsoever. I did find... I did find um, a match report though, from a, a Reading newspaper which just says Luckless Sunderland were destroyed by a Reading side which hit top form in front of their biggest crowd of the season. That's about 10,000, by the way. Um, so basically, Carlos Salva scored two. Um, Darren Williams got sent it. off. No, he got two. Darren Williams got sent off. I can't remember that, to be honest. Um, but this was... Before we go on about what happened next, Kevin, you, you, you remember this game, don't you, clearly? Yeah, I think, of course, you know, I remember it. Not so much, of course, the game, you know, it was a, it was a poor performance. It, you know, it was, it was a crap performance, as, as you as you well know. Um, you know, we, we got to bear the full passion and front and expletives of Peter Reid in the dressing room afterwards, not just him, but Bobby Saxon as well. And it was, you know, it wasn't pretty. Uh, but, I, you know, my abiding memory of that is I think I, did, I came on in that game, didn't I? I think I scored... Yes. You scored a goal, and I, I, we came in the dressing room afterwards and really laid into everyone. And when he got to me, I was thinking, "What's he going to say to me?" You know, I'm, I'm in for it now. But he didn't. He, he actually praised me and said some nice things, saying this lad had only been on the pitch for so long. He run around. He did more in the time he was on the pitch than any of you did in the whole time you're on the pitch. And I was, of course, you like to hear things like that. But I was embarrassed um, for, for, for what he was actually saying. But. I suppose the biggest memory was the walk from the dressing room back onto the coach after the game because we could hear the supporters had gathered outside and Elm Road, the dressing rooms were pretty much on the main road, literally. The, the wall was there, the, the road, uh, sorry, the, the paving and then the, the coach was there waiting for us. And you could hear the supporters, there was about 100, 200 of them had gathered. You could hear them singing, uh, you're not fit to wear the shirt. Uh, all sorts of stuff. So it got to the point where we had to get on the bus. There was no, you know, no ifs or buts. So we made a dart for it. The lads are like covering their head, running onto the pit, uh, onto the bus. Supporters were throwing their season tickets. They were throwing shirts in there. Anyway, we eventually eventually get onto the bus. And John Cook, I'm running on. And, and in the dressing room before, he said, I'll be all right. I don't know who I am. So anyway, he gets on the bus as well. And, and he gets a season ticket book chucked at his head. So he gets on the bus and we was all laughing at him. He said, the cheeky gits. He said, all I heard from one of them was, and when you played for Sunderland, you were crap as well. <laughs> Although it was like, uh, obviously an abysmal, we were all down. But that absolutely made everyone just burst out laughing and... I think we realised that it was unacceptable performance, and uh, you know that couldn't happen again. And, and really, obviously, had to ring ring the changes as well. He well, he did that. I mean, this and it's not an exaggeration for people who, who weren't around at that time or can't remember clearly at that time. The fans wanted him gone at this game. That's the it's the only time I can remember during Peter Reid's spell. Even later on, when he eventually did get sacked, where I think the majority of Sunderland fans wanted him to leave. He was. Really, really up against it, wasn't he? Did you did you sense that, Kevin, as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, but Reedy's a fighter, you know. He, he he it's like a water off a duck's back to him. Although you know, it hurt him. It hurt all of us. Um, so we we were determined as a squad, and I think that was one of the biggest attributes we had as a squad. Then was our team spirit. 
um, you know, our togetherness that we ain't gonna, you know, we're not gonna let the manager take the foot, you know, the brunt of this. We we hold our hands up, we accept responsibility, but ultimately we got to do something about it. Of course, the manager has to as well. So yeah, he was very low, but no, it really being Reedy, you know, he kept on going and you know just showed the class of the man. He turns it around, and you know, well, it ends nearly being as we all know an unforgettable season. I mean. Just fast forward a few games by the time he's managed to really change things. And I mentioned there that we discussed about the last season about the park. We were a very defensive team, um, you know, very worked very hard, and he sort of continued that on. It just didn't seem to fit with the brand new stadium and the and the optimism people had. And I just remember the team I've just read out there, and then the difference in this one. So this one's just a few weeks later where we win four at Portsmouth, and you got Lionel Perez in goal. Darren Holloway and Mickey Gray fullback, so he's moved Mickey Gray back to fullback. Uh, Jordy Craddock and Darren Williams, so two young lads in an entirely new centre half partnership. Lee Clark and Alex Ray in centre midfield. And then um, Martin Smith and Alan Johnson are on the wing. And then Niall Quinn and Kevin Phillips up front. Nicky Summerby made his debut come on and scored. Was there a conscious effort to change things, Kevin? How did that? Because the transformation. Is remarkable. I mean, just look at the personnel there, and then suddenly we had this team that just piled forward when they got the ball. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you know, reading. I think he realised that you know he had to, of course, change it. I think he had to be a more attacking, a bit more flair, and I think moving Mickey Gray back to fullback, putting Alan Johnson in front of him. You know, I thought the, the relationship that them two built over the season was was incredible. You know, Mickey just loved to bomb on, overlap and cross the ball. Jono used to love coming inside and, and playing one-twos. Uh, and I think when, when Nicky Summerby broke into the side, he just gave us that different dimension as well in terms of the crossing with me and, you know, obviously with Big Nile in the box. Um, you know, the amount of goals we scored with, with, with Nicky on the right-hand side. And he had the ability, not he could cross the ball without taking people on. He had that ability to do that. And I think in the, I think Darren Holiday, you know, the young back four, it was a young back four, wasn't it? You know, enthusiastic. Jody Craddock, great lad. You know, we signed together. Um, turned out to be a real good player. And I think the two in the midfield, you know, for me, Lee Clark's Lee Clark. We know how good he was. But Alex Ray, for me, was like an unsung hero. He didn't get the credit he fully deserved. I thought he was a brilliant player. Left foot, right foot. Give us that steal, you know, that, that, uh, that tackle. Uh, that aggression, um, and I think the balance of the side looked really good. Uh, and of course, you know, me and me and Noel just hit it off, and it, it and it and it just grew and grew and grew, and you know, teams were finding it very difficult to play against us. The, the, the spirit in the dressing room must help Kevin because you are big mates as well, weren't you? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. In, certainly, in my first four seasons there, I think that was one of the biggest things that Peter Reid and Bobby Saxon tried to create. You know, certainly from my experience in any promotion winning team or challenging, you need to create an atmosphere, a team spirit that that carries you through, through the good times and the bad times. And we certainly had that. We, we socialised an awful lot off the pitch because you could then, you could get away with things that you, you certainly couldn't get away with today. But we did it within the within lim- the limits and, and really give us a bit of leeway. And, you know, at times he'd come out with us. And he'd be the ringleader, and it, and it just worked. But we we totally respected him, and I think that was one of the biggest things. We showed him so much respect, and he showed us respect as well. So 
yeah, the team spirit, you know, got us through certainly the first four seasons. Where, where were your favourite places to go, Kevin? Where did you go? Durham? For a night out? Yeah, yeah. And funny enough, we used to go out Newcastle. <laughs> but never... You know what? In six years I was there, I went out in Sunderland twice. Just because, you know, what, what, what you were saying earlier, you know, as time went on, I just couldn't go out and lap because you just... <laughs> you couldn't get to the bar without getting stopped and talking about football. At least in Newcastle, someone's trying to hit you so you can leave <laughs> me about the way. <laughs> Funny enough, yeah, I think... gen- generally Durham, uh, which was pretty yeah. nice. It was a good place at the time. I think uh, I saw you in like Life O'Reilly in Sunderland last season or the season before, and I mean, nothing's changed really. I've never seen one person just literally have to turn into someone else's armpit to get a photo, like a selfie. It was like a selfie parade, constant, yeah. like spinning around for about 10 minutes. It was like, so, I mean, obviously the selfie thing wouldn't have been a thing so much in the late 90s, but same kind of crap really, isn't it? It's still, yeah. 20 years later, you still can't can't just have a pint in Sunderland. Well, it just shows you how passionate you, you people are up there. You know, you just love your, your, your idols and people that did well for you. And, you know, you always give someone who's played for the club when they go back, they've done well, you always give them a good reception. And, and that's the way it should be. So, yeah, they're very passionate. And like you say, I come back quite a bit. It's just, it still it still feels the same as when, I, when it was 20 years ago. It's just, it's quite remarkable. Strong division that year, Kevin, as well, wasn't it? Forrest and Borough. Borough I mean, Borough signed Paul Nursing in the, in the summer, and he, he played for England in the World Cup that summer. So, top, yeah. some top players, and they, they were two strong teams, weren't they? Yeah, like two, yeah, two teams that we were, you know, battling against throughout the whole season. And, uh, you know, I remember having some big battles. I remember we went down to Forrest, and I remember, I think I scored a, a goal, goal with Quinny, crossed it over, and I hit it with my volume, my right foot. And we, we had the whole end down there. And it was just, you know, the support we used to take to away games was, you know, I'd never seen anything like it. It was just incredible. Uh, and the noise. And so you're right, you know, we had some big battles against those two sides. And, of course, Middlesbrough being the rivals. I remember playing them. I'm not sure if it was that season, but we played them in the cup when we had all our windows on the bus smashed um, going back to, to Sunderland. It was just, just showed you how intense the rivalry was. We just yeah, we just that... couldn't beat. We just couldn't beat Middlesbrough that season. No, we couldn't. We, we, I think we played them in the league. Cup. Did we play them in the league cup as well? I think we lost. Yeah, Andy yeah, Campbell, did, yeah. I think, scored for them. Yeah, and and, uh, and then we obviously we had that big game towards the end of the season as well, didn't we? With the uh, I remember there was a bean back at the stadium, right? Um, and I think we lost a game. I think we maybe. February three one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So three one. Marco Branca. Yeah. So it, it was uh it was just one of them where obviously we had that great result against Forest. Um but that came a couple of weeks that uh, came Forest result came a couple of weeks after. Yeah. yeah. But it was we had that we had that uh you know, the, like you say, it was just a strong league, and we had we had the opportunity at times where we'd left ourselves with so much to do uh, in order to to get in that top two. And then when it came to the crunch, obviously, sort of tore to beat them both really. Um, but I remember we, we, I think Forrest didn't start brilliantly. I, I can't remember. I'm sure you scored in that game against Forrest. I think in the in the home game where we drew one all, Kevin. I think after, really early on. Was it was it a header? Yeah, it was like a header, like in yeah. the bottom corner. I think. I think. Um, 
I think Al- Alfinger yeah. Harland scored for them. I got hit by a brick in my back off from a Forest fan after the game. What's next? I just remember it all the Forest fans ran towards us and started throwing things, and a brick whacked off my back. I was only 16 or something. I remember the fire alarm going off at that game at the stadium. The fire alarm? I just remember the fact that right near the end there was like. I think you didn't set that off when you brought the pipe Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big fire alarm in the. Uh... Uh, right, right, right near the end of the game, it was like like ninetieth minute or something. The fire alarm went off. It's a weird, weird memory. Yeah, it is. They're talking to Ken Phillips when fire alarms going off. Well, um, I'm not them. I was just, you know, I was, I was just, uh, you know, well, I, what, what more can you add? I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. I know it's a bit weird. Uh, Craig, Craig dropped out again. His Wi-Fi is gone. He said he's coming back. He's sexy. All right, uh, Kevin, did you? Did you so during this a couple of quick questions, a couple of questions for you here. During this run, when did you start to believe, you know, that we could do it? Because we didn't start off great. It was like mid-February, I think, before we got up to the third place. Um and then um I've totally forgotten what second. Oh yeah. And the second question was, when did you um start to think about that that goal scoring record? Um I, I think the goal scoring record, I never, it was only probably late on, you know, right towards the end of the season when, when, you know, it started getting mentioned about the Brian Clough uh, post war record that it could be broken. But, you know, I, I was I'm pretty much in the zone. I never, you know, most of that time, I never even knew how many goals I was on because I was just couldn't wait. Games were coming thick and fast. So I was just concentrating on the game. It was only towards the end of that part of the season. I think from, from terms of you know going up automatically, we knew, like you said earlier, it, we'd have to produce something special to topple those two: Forest, Middlesbrough, of course, Sheffield United. We're in and around it, Charlton. Um, you know, good teams. It, it. We always believed we could do it, but I think deep down, you know, we were we were of that team spirit again that we didn't get too carried away with ourselves. Above ourselves or get too far ahead of ourselves because that's when things can go wrong. We just try to stay level-headed, and and of course, over the course of the season, you're going to have ups and downs. And unfortunately, you know, we just couldn't get the results when when we needed them. So, you know, we, we there were times where when we'd won a match, we thought we can go on and win this, but I never really, never really had that, never really had that feeling that we would go up automatically. If I, if I'm being really honest. It's interesting you say that, though, Kevin, because I'm just looking at the league positions now, and from late March until we lose at Ipswich, which was second last game of the season, we are in second place. And then we had a couple of a couple of uh, wobbles in the road. Uh, obviously, the Ipswich game we lost, but QPR at home. Oh, was that a good Friday, that one, was it? When we were 2-0 up and we, we still, were 2-2. still have 2-2. nightmares about that. Uh, that... Uh... Chris making back pass <laughs> and Mike yeah. Shearer and uh, scored twice. That was uh, no, fifteen minutes uh, left. Sorry, Kevin. No, you're yeah. right. I'm just, you're right. You know, of course, the, the league position suggests that we should, you know, probably be getting carried away and thinking we can go up. But I just, I just felt that, you know, at that time we were still a, a very young team. Uh, you know, obviously young players, um, and I just think that we we weren't allowed really to get too carried away of ourselves. So, I you know, it was only my personal opinion. Other players might say different, but I just mm-hmm. felt that you know we 
we would do well here to, to continue this momentum and, and go up automatically, especially with the sides, you know, the experience, like you said, with Emerson at Middlesbrough, um, you know, with the experience they had, that, that would have been my only reservation. Yeah, no, they were two really good teams. And Forrest had, Forrest had uh, Van Hooydonk and Kevin Campbell, Campbell yeah. with, which is not a bad strength for us for, for that level, is it? Uh, look at that QBR team that night. Neil Ruddick and Vinnie Jones are both on the side for... For QPR. Yeah. Which I can't remember. Jones. Yeah. Vinnie Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Vinnie Jones. Yeah. 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 And he got out of the They were sponsored by Classic FM. No, Classic FM was much younger, much earlier in that region, I think. It'd be quite funny if they'd seen Neil Ruddock and Vinnie Jones wearing Classic FM. Completely. But that, I think, I know what Kevin's saying about the. Like it's interesting to hear, like Kevin say they weren't weren't sure about you know whether they would you know get in the top two. But I remember the the Portsmouth game was the like when Alan Johnson scored um, late on, like a really good goal where he, the the textbook Johnston goal really where he cut inside and bend it into the into the far corner. Um, and I think we'd. <clears throat> We try to chuck it away like a few minutes earlier. I think like I think we had a bit of a defensive mix-up, and Paul Hall scored for Portsmouth. But after that, I remember because it was a late winner. I just remember after that game, it felt as though this is, you know, this is it. I did. That was a game where I thought we were definitely going to go up. I, I thought that when we beat Tranmere at Pretton Park in April two 0 because Tranmere always beat us, always beat us. And I remember thinking, oh, last night that curse has been lifted. But um, Ipswich game was on Sky as well, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Alex Matthews scored, who was a former yeah. mag, obviously. So that was... Uh, that was, uh, But that, it did feel as though it was a bit of a last... It was weird, because it, it, we kind of knew, it felt as like Ipswich game, we're like, well, we win this, we're in poor position. Because um, if... Uh, we had Swindon on the last day, didn't we? And um, Middlesbrough, I can't, they have thumped whoever they had on the last yeah, day. They had, they had to lose, didn't they? I think so, yeah, after we drew that game. Yeah. Um, you scored a nice one at Swindon, yeah, Fantastic goal, yeah. Yeah, no, I think, you know, when people ask me your best online goals, they all make me think I'll say the Newcastle, the, the Chelsea goal, and a couple of others. But for me, that goal at Swindon was probably one in my top five at least because it's one of those goals where I had visions of what I wanted to do and, and actually to pull it off it doesn't happen very often so you know for the chest and the volley over the top but it just it, it was just it just everything just happened the way I envisioned it and it was one of the sweetest goals I scored for something to be honest it was it was, it was incredible and I, I remember that night I think it was the afternoon whenever it was we were we were praying. I think we deep down we knew that Middlesbrough wouldn't lose at home. Yeah. We still had to do the job, and and the Sunderland fans went down in their thousands. I think they had about two and a half sides of the ground. It was just incredible. Um, we won the game comfortable, but we knew that Middlesbrough wouldn't lose again. Yeah, I, I, I seem to remember that as a fan because I went down there as well. And I think it was a party atmosphere, but people were always thinking, yeah, yeah, we haven't we haven't done enough here, so. The playoffs. I mean, what was the reaction like after that? Not that disappointment because you kind of expected it. Yeah, I think we kind of prepared for the playoffs. 
yeah, I think, you know, going even travelling to the Swindon game, we knew that it was probably going to be the playoff. So, you know, we, we'd accepted that. Um, so, you know, then it was just, of course, you knowing who you're going to be playing. Of course, it was Sheffield United. Um, and I think we were just delighted that we got, you know, we were away first. So, you know, from my experience in a playoff, you always like to play the second leg at home. And, and we, all, we just felt confident knowing that if we could get them back to the stadium of light, you know, having maybe drawn the game, of course we'd like to win it. We we would stand every chance of winning the game. And you know, for me, the atmosphere at the stadium of light in that second leg was one of the best I I've witnessed at the stadium in my whole time there. So it was um, two tough matches, but I think the best team came out on top in the end. Yeah, and what was did Peter Reid have to do a lot between those two games because you lost the first leg two one. Yeah. No, not really. Reedy was Reedy's Reedy. You know, he he knows what to say at the right time. Um, he, he was, you know, there wasn't a lot we could do in between the game because they came round so quick. It was pretty much we know we're good enough to turn this round. You know, we've got the players to do it. We just need everyone to perform on the night. And so it was not so much getting on top of us. It was more of a, you know getting behind us, which we needed. And, and of course, the support was getting behind us on the night. It was just, you know, an incredible atmosphere, and to, you know, to get the winning goal was just, you know, as I say, one of the best nights that, that I'd experienced at the stadium. Yeah, and I don't think that's exaggerated when people say that because if somebody was to ask me to list my top three, arguably, atmospheres in the stadium, like that would be one. Were you, were you there, lads? Oh, I wasn't. I didn't go. Oh, Garth, man. Forget him. Get right, him. Well, <laughs> well, do you know what? Well, I, that. That season was my first season ticket, and I've had a season ticket ever since um, when we moved into the stadium. Um, and I don't think you don't ever stay up at a school night or something. No, no, we we couldn't. Afford, <laughs> yeah, I think it was basically the case that we couldn't afford to go to both if we got the final. Ah, right. It was a case of going like, well, we had to pick, so we had to gamble and either say, well, we're going to get the playoff final and go to the playoff final, or we go to the the semi-final so obviously we gambled on going to the, the final um, and everyone says it's like one of the best uh, best nights ever at the stadium and I didn't yeah, go was. so now, now I know you weren't there I've just promoted it to my favourite ever atmosphere at the I know that. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been the best night of my entire life <laughs> well because I think that says more about you than me Craig <laughs> I didn't go to the game because I was on work experience at the uh, the, the Sunderland Echo, and I remembered I had to be up really early, so I, I didn't want to risk it. <laughs> so, I mean, fair enough. Financials, fair enough. I, I can't. I can't. Have I probably this. couldn't afford it either. I don't like. Money's it. We'll never podcast for this. Well, I want a year in Richard's life at this point. Because I'm dancing. <laughs> I know. I'm upstairs <laughs> to work in at the Echo on work experience. It's just not the but missing out on all the, not the child of mine. Yeah. Well, yeah, I meant like season, the, I guess, it all went downhill after that. To be honest, when we got the um, <laughs> when we got the the final, I remember like the obviously queuing for the tickets. Yeah, like uh, you had to queue for hours to all get the ticket. people yeah, camping get, up. Yeah, to get the ticket for the final. Um, if you had a season ticket, you were you were guaranteed a ticket. Well, you were, you were, I think, but you still had the queue. You know. So I didn't. I didn't have a season ticket. Used to go with this like the kids' club thing, and you used to meet at uh, the ticket office before the game and the take you in and everything. But it meant I wouldn't have got a ticket for the final. But for some reason, my sister had three season tickets for the same seat. 
So we just used like a voucher for each one. So that would go. She locked at the centre of a placement or something, and then she had this other random one that they said, I have no idea what, a more great admin. Just a bit of light I fraud. Know, I think for, that for, for about five games, and your sister had three. She was swimming in them, yeah. Aye, as well. You know, it was always a game she was going to, so you know. Yeah, she's beat the system fair play. Um, But anyway, I've I've listened to um, Alan Kirby do a couple of podcasts recently where he was talking about the the playoff game, which of course we all know what 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 happened in that. And I'm not having what what he he was hitting at here, Kevin, was that Charlton finished that season really, really well. I think they won like eight in a row or something to finish the season. And he was almost suggesting that Sunderland underestimated them going in, but I'm not having that from Peter Reid. No, no chance. No, we, we, Peter Reid wouldn't let us do that. You know, there's no way we'd underestimate any team. I think we finished two points above them in the end, I think, in the table, three points, something like that. So, yeah, it was close, but we never underestimated them at all. You know, that had nothing to do with the result. Of course, we all we all know, you know, what happens uh, with the result and, and, and obviously Michael but no you, we played them twice we knew what they were all about we did our homework we did our teamwork so we were prepared but believe me you know a, a one-off game at Wembley you can prepare all you like we had a young team uh, you know I'd never played at, at Wembley you know it's an experience for me you know a lot of the other players had never played there you know, the only one I think was Niall. Niall scored for the Republic of Ireland, I think, there against England. So he played for Arsenal a couple of times there before. So I think he, and I think Lee Clark might have played there. So yeah, to, to suggest that, no, that never, that that would never happen with a Peter. I never saw it in the whole time I played under him. He never underestimated anyone. What's what, what what's going on for you, Mike? That there's so many things for you that week leading up to it. So you play at Wembley for the first time, which must be the dream of every kid playing football. There's a chance to take something in the Premier League. Um, there's the goal scoring thing again. There's, there's a lot going on for you. Yeah, I think it was just I couldn't when when we when that whistle went in the second leg of the playoff. You know, it was just elation. You know, emotions come out. You know, we, we, we got a second crack at it. Of course, we didn't go up automatically. Then you get you think you've got another crack at it. So I couldn't wait to play in that game. But we had to wait 10 days. And I came off in that game, I think, Sheffield United, with, with a dead leg. Or I got a dead leg in that game. And I couldn't train a lot before the game. I think I only trained about three days before. So I hadn't done a lot of work. Um, but you're right. You know, there was a lot of pressure, not just on me, but on the whole team. Um from a personal point of view, yeah, you're right. You know, to play at Wembley was just incredible. It was my dream as a kid. <clears throat> and I think more so, my sister played there about three years before in a in a women's game. And she never let me forget that she played at Wembley before me. So, <laughs> but she never scored. So I was desperate to score, of course, to, to, to get one back on her. And, of course, to beat Brian Clough to record. And to try and, you know, I was dreaming about scoring a winning goal to take Sunderland to the... To the Premier League, and uh, and now for a while, it looked like it was going to happen. But you know, I, I could never envisage it was going to turn out the way it did. So it, it was a remarkable game, but a very, very upsetting, disappointing game. I mean, what's that like? Though I mean, obviously the end was horrific, but in the game itself, to score that goal. I mean, what what was that like to score that goal? And because I I remember. When we 
got the equaliser when he just after half time. I remember Pete was still celebrating in that end when when we kicked off. It, yeah. it, it was just that because I think we were so poor in that first half, and I think everyone was just like I remember going into the um, the concourse at half time, and there's this old guy behind me was going, "It's just like Norwich. It's just like it's just like they like, all the finals have been in. It's just like Swindon, but he was like he was a lot more colourful language." I remember it all, and we went, and we went in, come, come back out half time, scored straight away. <clears throat> I remember the elation when that goal went in, and then we scored again not after, long after. But and I, what I always remember about that goal is, ball nearly gets you in the first time, and the, the the defender blocks it, and everyone goes like ooh, and then he heads it, and you're in. I mean, what's yeah. What's going like obviously our end as well? So what's going through your mind in that moment when you're going through on goal and then you're at Wembley? I mean, I, I, I yeah. mean maybe I'm overplaying it. I don't know because no, no, maybe it's instinctive. But yeah, it's funny actually because I, I I I watched the game back full the other day. They showed the whole game on Sky. I think it was last week, and I don't think I've ever really sat down and watched that whole game, but I did. And and you're right, you know. We were poor in the first half. I never really got a sniff at all of goal. And I was you know, I was thinking, is my chance going to come? And, you know, when Kevin Ball headed it over the top and, and I instinctively, first I thought, am I onside, am I offside? But, you know, play to the whistle as we tell everyone. And, and I just remember, you know, I could read the bounce of the ball. I knew that I could. I have to take this first time because I knew Sasserilic was on his way out. And I, my first thought was, I'm going to lift it over him, but then I thought he's such a tall guy; it's going to have to be, you know, perfect. And I have to say, as soon as it left my foot, I was praying that it didn't take a, a spin bounce and go, you know, hit the post or, or miss the goal completely. And you know, as soon as I see the bounce and it hit the back of the net, I was just my first thought was, "Great, scored! I've broke the." Do I remember? I don't know whether I actually thought I broke the record. I just thought I put us in front. You know, is this going to be the goal that will take us to the Premier League? And, and running over to our support, the noise again was just, you know, incredible. You, if you were in it, you were in amongst it. You would know it was, it was just amazing. And my, my, I think you see when everyone got off me and I put my two hands to my head, yeah. that was my celebration of I broke Brian Clough's records, and hopefully that could be the winning goal. So it was, <clears throat> it was fantastic. But then to have to come off after 63 minutes, I think it was, and then watch that game unfold. Not being able to do anything about it was was tough. Very, very, very tough to to, to see that happen. To teach your chance <laughs> after that yeah. one, which is a, that was right in that cut where you came to celebrate. That's where we were. Yeah, um, it was. You can remember Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's the way. That's the way he went to the Yeah, yeah, he's heard. This is for you. Bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, I mean, it was. I still remember like so much of a ridiculous game, like the the whole thing, and to lose it the way we did, like just. It, it, I remember again the, the blow behind, and when Mickey Gray missed a penalty, he he just went off. Oh, we're lost, and like I turned around, yeah. and like, my, dad, my dad was like, you know, just off, off. I've gone, he'd gone. So I mean, like my stepmom would follow them out and. Uh, I mean, it was horrible. I mean, it's strange that the, still the little still. things you can remember, and I can remember when he missed 
I will never forget the first thing I saw was Mark Bright, who I think was must have been a sub for Charlton or a player for Charlton. Great place, Scott. Did he score? Yeah. No, I don't think he scored, but he, he played. But really? I just remember him kicking uh, the ball out. No, Mendonca scored. Yeah, yeah. I just remember him kicking the ball up in the air and celebrating. It's just a strange memory I've got that he was just, well, because he was in my eye line. You always have weird, weird memories of these things, don't you? My, <clears> mine are bad memories that I didn't want to watch when Mick Gray was taking it, then being in tears because we'd lost. And hearing that, and just being really annoyed that they'd been promoted and were playing Red Red Robin. I just thought it was so like lame. And then Walking on Sunshine came on as we were leaving the ground. And going home, <laughs> Forest, Forest fans had put this massive banner like hanging over this bridge over one of the roads we were going up, saying like, oh, well done Charlton, joining Forest and Borough in the Premier League and that. Uh, the game itself feels like a massive blur to me, but these like... That was my first and only time at that version of Wembley as well. And uh, also that it was just like a horrible old place and like rivers of urine going down the steps. Just like dreadful, dreadful place. Well, I remember we got a programme and I I had it up my top. I went to the toilet, forgot, dropped it, went in this like two inches of piss on the floor. But like it cost a fortune, right? Oh, yeah, the whole ten quid, them programmes, eh? So I was like, I didn't want to get wrong off my dad, so I cleaned it. And then as we were walking up the stairs, <laughs> as we literally, as we were coming up the up the uh, steps, walked in and um, Rufus scored. Literally as we walked in and this, so I missed the goal. Just heard them celebrating. <clears throat> So it was a, not a very good five minutes for me as a human being. That, that, <laughs> no, that's uh, very good. Oh, Richard Dunn was steals the ball. Gareth's picking up busy covered programs. Yeah. I wasn't there myself. Yeah. I mean, we talking about our experiences as fans, Kevin and how we've had a few of Southern fans, but it was crushing that. It was really, really crushing. And I imagine the dressing room would have been like a morgue as well. Yeah, it was, um, you know, by the time you got back to the dressing room, I think I certainly left the pitch. I didn't want to see. Charlton getting, you know, as much as should have showed respect, but I didn't want to see it then being handed the, you know, the, the trophy. So I, I made my way down to the, the tunnel and the change rooms pretty quick. And we all started coming in in dribs and drabs. Um, and, and as you can imagine, there was tears. There was a bit of anger, people throwing <clears> boots. Um, but the time everyone got in the dressing room, there was a silence. And even Reedy and Bobby Saxon, and, and the coaching staff, everyone who was in there was dead quiet. And then all of a sudden, you know, Reedy says his little bit about the game and it goes quiet again. And then, then, then Quinny stands up and he just went, and I always remember it, he just said, look, what are we going to do? He said, we can sit, we can moat, we can let it ruin our summer, we can cry about it. He said, I said, he said what we need to get, do all that now. He said, as soon as we leave, it, leave here this afternoon, we get on the bus we have a good drink tonight, we enjoy the evening, and then we never mention it again. And now I mean, when we come back for pre-season, it's not mentioned. And by the time he'd finished that, I think the lads started talking, and, you know, I think that that speech from Big Nile was just inspired us to, one, enjoy the evening, two, try and enjoy your summer, but three, when we reported back for pre-season, nothing was mentioned in the playoff final. We were focused and determined to 
push on again because Quinny said we'll win the we'll win the league next season, and we all we all thought yeah that's small talk. But when we started thinking about it and with the, the additions that, that the gaffer made, <coughs> you know it turned out to be you know a, a, an incredible season and we won it at Cantor really didn't we? We absolutely dominated the league and uh, did, as crazy as did you did anybody like, uh, sorry no go on sorry. No, I was just going to say, it's crazy, and I've said it before. I, I, I actually personally, in my opinion, didn't think the timing was the time was right for us to go up. Of course, we'd have loved to go up, and I would never have, you know, not wanted to go up at that time. But when I sit and reflect, <clears throat> I think another season of us young squad together, with coupled with the experience that we had, the new signs, the experience, and and playing together for another season really stood us in good stead when we got promoted to the Premier League, as as you well know, when we finished seventh twice. So I, I actually think not going up, as much as it hurt us, probably set us in good stead for the next season and the following two after that. Did anybody say anything to Lionel Perez? No, no, no one blamed. There was no, there wasn't a blame game. No one said anything to anyone. Did you feel like that? <laughs> no, no one was saying. The only time I, you know, I've seen Lionel Perez grab hold of a comedian <clears> by the throat when we've had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on a, 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 a Players Awards evening when he said something about his wife jokingly Lionel grabbed him by the throat in front of everyone so no, wow. no one was going to mess with Lionel Perez <laughs> he was he was, uh, he was mad but uh, <laughs> it wasn't a time for blame game you know it, 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 we could have quite easily come in and, and ripped into to Michael Gray but no one would do that you know he, he no. had the bottom to get up and do it you know, I think Lionel Perez pulled off some great saves during the season to help us get to where we were. So it wasn't the blame game. It was more getting behind people. And apparently, Bali always tells us the best ever night out on the way back that anyone's ever had. Oh, yeah. And we used to have quite, you know, very good nights on the way back from games. That was that was one of the biggest things that I couldn't believe as, you know, when I first went there. We used to stop at... Uh, Bobby Saxton's local pub where he lived in Sheffield. We used to go to this... I always remember the first time we, we pulled up in this, what, 52-seater coach outside this little rural country pub. And you could see the people looking out thinking, what the hell is a bus doing here? And then to see a football team get off the bus and go in and have a couple of pints and play pool half on the way back from a game was just it was just incredible. But, yeah, I think we stopped on the way back and had a drink, but the, we ran out of beer on the bus. And by the time we got back to the northeast, I think the game was pretty quickly forgotten about and um yeah, it was it was a, it was a, it was a good night bizarrely enough ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Darren Williams, and you're listening to the Wise Men Say Podcast. 
Now that lockdown is easing somewhat for some of us, um, we're delighted to see that From the Terraces is back open and trading. And that means the code WMS10 is still valid over at um, fromtheterraces.co.uk. So make sure you head over there um, and get yourself some lovely new cargo shorts that they've been uh, pitching there. So I don't know if you can run in cargo shorts if you're doing some running for your daily exercise or whatever, but give it a try because uh, you probably won't be able to wear them at the football. Um, so as I say, get yourself over to fromtheterraces.co.uk and you can get 10% off your entire basket using the code WMS10. Um, and remember to follow them on social media. Find them on Facebook or follow them on Twitter at, at @terracesfrom. They're also on Instagram. So get over there, use the code WMS10 and get 10% off your basket. <laughs> were you all set on on taking Nile's advice and really making sure that you got off to a fly that season was it a, was a particular was the pre-season work particularly harder I think it was just the I think the um, <clears throat> you know actually not mentioning it um, I think you know the just the atmosphere around the place that we were very conscious that we wanted to create a real positive atmosphere uh, you know the manager did the players, the senior players, um, you know, we, we, I think we, we couldn't wait for the season to start. Um, I think we started against Portsmouth. I think I scored a penalty at home in the first, no, Ipswich it was, wasn't it? Ipswich, the first. Yeah. And it wasn't a particularly great game. I think we won the game 1-0 and that, that got us off to a flyer and, you know, got us, got, by that time come, the, the game at Wembley was completely and utterly forgotten about. Yeah, Ipswich, uh, we beat 2-0 up there, players. Um, John Mullen scored after 12 and then you scored after 36. And John Mullen had come in to replace Lee Clark in midfield, hadn't he? And played really well there because he'd just been a big part player before that. Did he? I, I don't remember that, to be honest. Um, yeah, John John on these days was a good player. Uh, but I, I don't remember that one, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, we were... Unlike we the season lot, before... We, we, we had a lot of injuries at the start of that season. Mm, the, the we were all for ages as well, though. We went... We went <laughs> Twenty sixth game, I think it was something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> wasn't it? Wasn't it eighteen games? Eighteen. It was. It was in all competitions. Then, then we played Tranmere, and then uh, Tran- Tranmere cheated the way to, to a victory. No, it was in the league. Uh, it was a Barnsley game when we got beat at home three two, and Ashley Ward was playing for Barnsley. I think we got someone sent off. That was the season after. Oh, wasn't sorry, it? I've jumped into the no, 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 so, From the beginning, like, start again. Like, unlike the season before, cool. unlike the season before, when we started slowly, I mean, we're off to a fly. We beat Tramia 5 0, Watford 4 1, we beat Oxford 7 0. Um, we go top, we go top in end of, at the end of October and stay there all season. But you, of course, missed a big chunk of the season, Kevin, because you, you got injured right before that 7 0 Oxford game. Yeah, and, and you know, Reedy always tells that whenever we're doing a gig together, and he said that's the only time that I didn't listen to Kevin. Uh, sorry, I did listen to Kevin. He's um, 
when I said he didn't want to play me in the game, he wanted me to rest, and I said no, I don't want to rest. Um, I want to play, you know, because I felt I could score a goal. I wanted to score a goal. I think it was Chester, was it Chester? Chester, yeah, Chester. Yeah, Chester. Chester I, I did, at home, and you did score a great goal, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and then, then I go in for it wasn't it wasn't a nasty challenge. It was near the yeah, it's actually right near the dugout on on the touchline. This lad's caught me and. <clears throat> You know, just I just felt some pain in my toe, and you know I didn't think it was much at the time, but it turned out, of course, to be an injury that kept me out. I think for near on three months. So uh, you know, really being really, I told you know it wasn't like how, how are you, son, and that he's like in in so many different words as you could imagine. Uh, I told you you shouldn't have played. Uh, <laughs> it was yeah, it was unfortunate, but you're right. You know, I, them three months was was terrible. I, I was I hated watching. Watching the lads win seven nil, you know, with me not being a part, because naturally I just felt I would have got at least three or four that day easily. <laughs> um, so bad. yeah, but the, the lads that came in, DGO and I think Bridgie came in as well at the time. You know, they did they did fantastically well, and you know I couldn't wait to get back. And of course, when I did, you know, the first game back away at QPR, I managed to get a good goal, and I was off and running again. Yeah, you never never worried about getting back on the team, were you? Even though these lads were scoring in your absence. I think you know you always, yeah, you always, yeah, of course, you know, you, I wouldn't say I worried, but you always, I, I love competition because that spurs you on. Um, you know, part of you wants, you know, of course, ninety nine percent you want them to do well, but there's always that one percent where you don't want them to do well because you don't want them to take your place. But you know, really, just kept on saying and telling me, listen, when you're fit, you're back in, don't worry. And I remember when I was back training, I, I wasn't far away from playing, and and I, I was. Oh, mate, assuming that I was going to play in a reserve game. And really was like, you're not playing in any reserve game. You're going straight back in the first team. I'm like, what, not even half an hour or 45 minutes? He went, no. He said, if you're fit, you're going. You're playing for the first team. And, you know, he told me a week before that I was going to be playing away at QPR. So it was, um, I was a bit nervous. But, you know, once I got on that pitch, it was, you know, it all came back to me pretty quick. It's pretty remarkable, really, the, the four forwards that season all got into double figures. I mean, there's, yeah. that, pro- that probably doesn't happen that often. Maybe because, firstly, it's it's harder to score goals. Secondly, if someone's scoring double <laughs> figures, there's not going to be they're not going to be dropped or replaced that often. So, the yeah. fact that obviously Quinny had a, I think Quinny had a problem for a period of time. Obviously, you were out for three months, and then Dicho and. Uh, and, and Bridges filled the sort of gaps, but it shows how just we were relentless. Like it, it was great. You'd go yeah. at the weekend, and it would be like, how many? Are yeah, getting? how many were getting? And we used to just batter everybody. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was the, the, best, the best time to to, to go and support Sunderland. Yeah. It was just it, we were just relentless. It was fantastic. I, I think the, big, the big thing was is you know. That, I'm not saying you know goal scoring is the hardest part of the game, putting the ball in the back of the net. But when you, when I was you know not just me, but Michael, you know Bridgie and, and Dicio and Quinny, when you're getting the service that that we were getting at that time from Johnston, you know Mickey down the right, Chrissy making down the right with with Summerby and, and Alex Rail Baldy, you know in the middle. It, it, at times it was hard not to miss. We created so many opportunities, and uh, you know hence why. You know that virtually all of us got in. Well, I think we all got into double. Yeah, and I, you know, I, still, I still managed to get twenty-five goals, and you know, and that was missing three months. So it, you know, that, you have to give a lot of credit to to the players in the team for creating the opportunities. The game before that, 
keep the our game. Um, we beat Crew 2-0 and Dickio and Bridges both scored in that game and then a QPR yourself and Nile up front how is that for a short game ruthless that's football it is isn't well, it yeah. that, that was uh, when, when both Kevin and uh, Nile were out I think that was uh, when um, Michael Bridges ended um Steve Bruce's career. That was like a famous Sheffield United. Where and he he scored. I mean, it's no surprise that he got near twenty goals in the Premier League the following season. Because I mean, how unlucky! <clears throat> it, look how lucky we were after two players of that level and scoring those goals and yourself and and Quinny and and then obviously Michael Bridges. And then he leaves, and that's how good he was. I mean, it, it is quite incredible, really, that we had three top-class Premier League strikers, but in the second division of English football yeah. at the time. It, it's, I mean, it can't now. It just wouldn't happen. I mean, it, it, it'd be snapped up in seconds, wouldn't it? It just wouldn't happen. I mean, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't satisfy them. Like, did you get, it, it was did you get whispers, Kevin? Yeah. Did Did your agent ever get on you? Yeah. Was there interest at this time for you? Yeah, I think there was there was yeah there was interest building, um, but you know I I actually I was having such a great time enjoying my life that I never took no in, you know I never took no no interest in it never took no you know it was a load of nonsense to me I was my agent yeah he, he would inform me but I just I you know I didn't want to pursue anything I was happy where I was you know I wanted to help Sunderland get to the Premier League and I was desperate to do that. And I wanted to play in the Premier League with Sunderland. So, yeah, you know, in the first four seasons, I could, I could have quite easily left the football club if I wanted to, but I didn't. You know, I was happy to stay. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to stay there forever, to be honest. But, unfortunately, football doesn't you know, doesn't happen like that very much. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, there was interest quite a bit. When did the, uh, the call from Kevin Keegan come? Or was it Kevin Keegan who called you about about going to play for England. No, it was. Um, I think you know. I've seen that second season. It was a second season. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, of course, when I was when I was flying and we were flying as a side, you start to get rumours, just like you know, potential other clubs being interested. But then you know, there became bits in the paper, rumours that potential England call up. And I remember being at the Charlie Hurley Centre when the England squad was due to be announced and, and Reedy just said to me, I was leaving the training ground one day and he just pulled me in and he just said, listen, I was actually going down to the seafront to do a, a big article or a, a magazine shoot for Diodoro, who's my sponsor at the time. And he just said, listen, keep your phone on. And I was like, why? He said, because I, I think you're going to get some good news this afternoon. So I was thinking, surely it can't be. Anyway, I said, yeah, of course. Anyway, I'm down on the beach doing, having a chat with this lad with, with the camera rolling. My phone rings and, and the guy's filming me. I said, listen, I'm going to have to take this. This is Peter Reed." So he said, yeah, of course, take it. So Reedy rings me and he just went, congratulations, lad. He said, you've been called up for England. And I was, I, just, I couldn't believe it, you know. So much had happened to me in such a short space of time. To get that call from the gaffer to say that Kevin Keegan had rung him and said you've been picked in the England squad, you and Mickey Gray, was just the pinnacle, really. And I just, I was, I was, I was lost for words. Uh, but I couldn't wait to tell my family. And it, yeah, it was, a, it was a surreal moment, absolute surreal moment. 
again, like, to, to get that for you and make you get the call up in, in, in the second division. Oh. Bit of a delay there, Stephen. I was just saying it was pretty remarkable that it was, uh, you know, again, second yeah. division. Two players well, in the second never division. Been, yeah. Yeah, it never been done before. You know, me and Mickey. No, me and Mickey were the first ones to ever be called up to England squad from, you know, the second division. Then, and it's you know, it was a great achievement for Mickey and myself, and you know, for me to actually start out in Hungary, you know, when we got out there was just amazing. Um, You know, we've seen it obviously a lot more since players from from Championship get the England squad. But yeah, for two of us from the same team. And getting picked from an ex Newcastle manager was um, was quite nice. <laughs> I remember on um, Sky Sports News they did a feature after the Hungary game, um, and it was all the load of people at Baldock Town watching watching you make your England debut. Yeah, um, you know it, it is amazing. You know, like obviously you play non-league football. You know to to go there. To, to, to come up to, to play for England for a team, you know, being called up from a team in the second division is, I mean, it's, yeah. it's phenomenal, really. Well, it was only literally, you know, I've been at something a year and a half then, probably a year and a year and three quarters, two and two and a half years before without Sunderland, and so it was really only four and a half five years before me England debut that I was playing non-league. So you know, a lot a lot had happened in that short space of time. So. <laughs> It, it, it took a while for it to sink in, but would, would I say it was well deserved? Yeah, I, I think it was. You know, I think it was a brave call from Kevin Keegan to, to pick two players out the out the second division at that time. But I think you know when you analyse it, you know I think it was a it was well you know yeah. a good call from 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 him at that time. What was that over, so over the years, you look at it where obviously yourself and probably all you you and Steve Ball really. You look at it like players who've scored. Just prolifically, you can't be ignored, can you? One, if you're scoring with the regularity that you were scoring, you, you just, especially now, where it's, you yeah. know, if it happened now, you, you probably would get called up as well because it's just a constant, you know, the constant news that you get about players on, you know, in the mainstream media. Well, I was, unfortunately, I was ignored in Euro 2000. I yeah. Coming off the back <laughs> of. 30 goals. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was shocking. Europe. <laughs> Absolutely shocking, that was. Yeah, I so I, I was ignored yeah. and we get knocked out in the group stages. So that, not not saying that I'm still bitter about it. But... <laughs> yeah. I think we're all still bitter about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what were the England players like with you, Kevin? Because you, you, you've obviously, it's a big step up signing for Sunderland and I, and I mean that with respect to Watford, but you know, who, who were the second tier of English football, so, you know, it's not like they're a tiny club or anything, but the big new stadium, the, the expectation of the fans, the amount of fans, and you get used to all that. I remember you reading in your booklet, you said it took you a while to build up the coach to speak to Niall Quinn, and then you're settled and you're scoring, and then you've got to do it all again because you're walking into the England dressing room. I was, no, I was, yeah, me and Mickey were, were so nervous. I remember driving down, we, we shared a car down to, to St Albans Software House, and we get there, we check in, we're nervous. I'm naturally very, very nervous, but I'd had the experience of being in that similar situation going to, as you rightly say, from Watford to Sunderland, mixing with, you know, top class players. You know, me and Mickey made sure that we wasn't late for dinner that first night. We I think we got down there about half an hour before everyone else uh, just to make sure we weren't late. But um you know, yeah, naturally 
listen, you got to remember, I, I was in, I was, I was in awe of a lot of those players. You know, I've gone from, you know, watching them on TV to now I'm actually going to be having dinner with them on the first night. So I was, I was in awe of, you know, the Man United players, the Arsenal players, Tony Adams. You know, he, when he walks through the door, you know, Tony Adams is in the room. Um, you know, even when Shearer walks through the door, you know he's in the room. You know, they're, they're big characters. Uh, so, very nervous, but they, they were great. You know, they made us feel very welcome. And, and I would have to say, Kevin Keegan was fantastic. You know, he, he made us feel so settled, made us feel part of the squad, and he made us inter, inter, interact with the players in terms of if we had a race night, which Kevin Keegan used to put on, he would make sure that me and Mickey were involved, we weren't left out. Dinner time, he would make sure that we were, you know, mixing with the players. We weren't sitting on our own on our own table. So he, he was very, very good at the time. I mean, the, the best thing about this podcast era that we live in is I've heard so many podcasts recently about about Kevin Keegan as a manager. Ray Parler's got some blinded stories about about those things you mentioned. But what he did say was the training on the Keegan was just zero tactics, centre <laughs> forwards, drills after drills after drills, all about scoring goals. I loved it, you know. Yeah, man. <laughs> absolutely loved it. It was after every training session, you know, we'd do finishing. And, you know, I, I remember doing a couple of finishing sessions at Wembley. You know, obviously I played there in the player final. But I just thought, I'm doing finishing session in an empty Wembley stadium after training. It doesn't get much better than this. And Kevin Keegan feeding you the balls and telling you how, you know, what to do and this and that. It was just... It was amazing. Yeah, it was, you're right. Not a lot of tactics. We had Arthur Cox and Derek Fisapoli there at the time who did, who did a lot of that. But Kev, Kevin Keegan just wanted to do finishing drills. So for, for me as a striker, it was it was incredible. What was it like in terms of like Reed's sort of tactical approach by comparison? Because I guess him moving Mickey Gray to left back in some ways is responsible for him getting England caps. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know, good shout. Um, yeah, I think you know that was a tactical masterstroke from Reedy doing that. It, let's not forget, you know, Bobby Bobby Saxon played a huge part in a lot of the tactics um, at, at the club. You know, we didn't do an awful lot of tactics. I think back then, you know, as we didn't do an awful lot of tactics because it was a four-four-two. Every every player grew up in that system. You know, we knew it was just about getting the right players to fit the positions. And, you know, we managed to build a team, or really did, that, that just suited that style. And so there wasn't a lot of tactics. It was more um, just drills, really, you know, possessions, drills, and a lot of finishing, crossing and finishing, because obviously we had Big Nile. So, um, you know, I'm not going to say Reedy doesn't know his tactics. He does, but he was more of a, a man, motivator, talking to you, getting the best out of you, which was one of his strengths. Yeah, I always thought like that left hand side, like having Johnston cutting in with his right foot, was a bit. Whether it was by Hooger by Croup, was quite innovative. Because now everyone likes that inverted winger thing, and they've got names for it, like inverted wingers. But before that, it yeah. was you know it was Ryan Giggs on the left wing or whatever, wasn't it? it? Was an outside left. It wasn't someone cutting in like that and creating yeah. space for a fullback overlap. Then and I just thought think, like you know, credit to him, you know. Yeah, no, definitely, and you know. Also, you know, fullbacks back then were, you know, it was that old saying, you know, they get a nosebleed if they go over the halfway yeah. line. You know, you saw Gary Neville doing it for me, you know, he gets to the halfway line and put the brakes on and, uh, and let the people in front do, do the job. But Reedy just gave the lads license to, to go forward. Um, you know, and if Mickey was bombing on and Jono tucked in, you always had, you know, one of the midfielders that would cover that 
you know, cover that area if it broke down. And we had the energy to do that with Alex Ray, Bawley or Clarkie, if, if, you know, whoever it was. So, yeah, I think, you know, that was a master show putting, putting Mickey Gray in that boat. And you, you come back after those games for England and there's only two games left of the season. Uh, we win the both, of course we do, because it's that season. Uh, 100, 105 points. You've, just, you've, played, you've broken Brian Clough's goal-scoring record Sunderland the previous year. We've smashed the league, 105 points, which was a record at the time. Um, lifting the trophy when we beat Birmingham 2-1. And you've played for England. And that's, that's a whirlwind couple of years for you, that, Kevin. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you know when I, when I went on holiday that summer, I, it was totally different to two summers before because nobody recognised me. But you know, after two seasons at Sunderland and, and doing what you just said, you know, it was amazing. You go, you know, I think we went to the Caribbean and people were recognising us, you know, on the beach in in the Caribbean, and it was just, you know, it it, it, it was just surreal. Um, but. You know, when I sat and analysed and thought about the two seasons I've just had, well, of course, I couldn't wait for the Premier League to start. You know, I was so buzzing, waiting for the fixtures to come out, who we, when we're going to play Newcastle, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but, you know, the one thing that disappointed me sitting in that beach that summer was, and it still does, you know, missing those three months of that second season, because I, I firmly believe that, now, although I think it's 60 goals I've scored in my first two seasons, if I had missed those three months, I, I, I firmly believe I would have got close to 40 goals that season without a shadow of a doubt. And um, So, yeah, bizarrely enough, that still annoys me a little bit. But, <laughs> yeah, two, two amazing seasons and some of the football we played, like you said, in the second season, we just steamrolled teams. Teams would beat them before they even turned up at the stadium. Like, they just knew they couldn't beat us. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we haven't seen that at the stadium of light, have we, for, for a long, long time. So <laughs> let's, let's hope that, did, you know, the good times are not too far away. Did, did you get that in the tunnel before before the games, Kevin, in the tunnel? Were you, did you look at the opposition and think, you're, you're done yet? Yeah, <laughs> especially when that music come on, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck stood up. And you could see the fear in some of the away, you know, players' faces just thinking... We're not winning here today, and and and, we're, and I've had it as a play. You know, even when we're at Sunderland, we go to Old Trafford. You kind of think you hope you get something, but realistically, we're not going to get much change here today. And uh, I can see it. So yeah, we we beat a lot of teams before they even you know kicked a ball. Uh, but that that's credit to the supporters with the, the atmosphere, but just the players, the performance they put in week in and week out. I remember Graham Taylor was the manager of Watford. I remember we played, we might play Watford, it was really early, maybe August, yeah. September. Second yeah. game, wasn't and it? We, and we went, no, I mean, in the, um, I'm talking oh. about in the in the 98 99 when we got promoted. Oh, okay. and, um, Graham, we, we were, yeah, we went 1 0 down. Um, and then I think, where well, we said we won 4 1, but we returned around really quickly and. I remember after the game, and this was even in August. I think it must have been August. He, he came out and Graham Taylor said, "These are winning the league." He just said straight. He was just going like, "These are these are the best team in the league. They'll win the league." Yeah, I remember Not that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you know he was and this is a guy who's managed. You know, I know obviously the documentary about Graham Taylor was uh, 
you know, made him look a certain way and obviously got panned by the press. But, you know, he was a great manager and, you know, he, he's coming out and saying those things. Um, and it, it was, it was, com- it was just party time for a year. Like, you just went to the game and you, it was like, as I say, you're going to win three, four. And, you know, who's going to score? It, it, was just, it was just great. There's some good teams as well in that league. I had so many people, yeah, so many yeah, people saying to me over the years now that season I won them so much money from being <laughs> the first goal scorer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was it Kevin? Was it this season that you had the uh, challenge with uh, to be like top scorer of the division? It was you against I think it was Lee Hughes at West Brom. Or was it the season? Uh, before? Yeah. Um, and it was the first. Like, the, the highest scorer wins win like a car or something ridiculous think, like that. I think there was a bit of yeah, there was a bit of rivalry. Now I think John Ficklin challenged me, the chief executive at the time. If he said if you score so many goals, I'll buy you a car. But um, and, and I and I smashed it, and he was gutted. But he to be fair, <laughs> he, he lived up to it. We gave the money to charity. But um, he, yeah, no, Lee is. I think there was a bit of rivalry between me and Lee and. <laughs> I remember scoring against West Brom, and I don't even remember I did his dance when the arms were coming up like that. And I think the press, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. the press picked up on it a little bit. Um, so yeah, there was a bit of rivalry between me and Hughesy, and, uh, but I don't. I, no, we never had a challenge between ourselves. It was more the media um, sticking their oar in, to be honest. I met Lee Hughes that summer in in Magaluf, Actually, knocked about him for a few days. He was. He's nuts, him, isn't he? He's all right. Yeah, <laughs> he, liked, he, he liked to drink. You like yeah. as we all know, as we all know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, great to tell you what's a good job he didn't win the car. <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna you know wrap it up and, and save the Premier League talk uh, for another time, Kevin. But I mean, you just mentioned there whirlwind of a, cu- a couple of years, and how confident were you going into that season before getting on to what happened in, in, in the Premier League? What were you? How confident were you? Um, Going into that summer, thinking, yeah, you know, we, we are better than average here because it was a record points total as well. Let's not forget that. Yeah, I think we were again. I think the same as when you know we we reported back for you know that season when we got promoted. Reedy, you know, certainly didn't let us get carried away. He weren't letting anyone get as us, us as players. We knew it was going to be tough, but I think we had that. I think the team again, the team spirit got us through a lot of the games, the togetherness, of course, coupled with the quality. But we were an unknown quantity. I think, you know, with a style of play we played that, you know, that season, we thought would, would uh, surprise a few teams. Most of the Premier League teams hadn't played against the combination of me and Niall. So that took a few by surprise. So we were confident. I think on a personal level, I, you know, I've always been confident I'll score goals. It's just the biggest thing in, in the Premier League is you're playing against a better class of player. Can we create the same opportunities that I was getting, you know, the previous two seasons? And that was my only reservation. But I think once the season started, we clearly, clearly knew that we were as good as many of the teams in the Premier League, and, and we showed it that season. So, yeah, that summer was a great summer because I was so excited to get going and to play against the Mags was, you know, amazing. Because you know, when I first moved there, people were talking about the derby. Before you know, we'd even got to the Premier League, which I found very strange. And um, so, I got to know pretty quick how important that game was, and you know, to play a part in it was amazing. So yeah, I think we were fairly confident that we'd be okay. But 
you know, after that mauling in the first game, that, that, that pretty much quickly <laughs> changed. So, you know, yeah. not going to. Well, we, we'll move on to that in another podcast. Yeah, we will. Like, no, no. Yeah, the Watford game. To be fair, like, you played those League Cup games as well. I mean, we were pretty close to going back to Wembley and as a 70 club. Mm. And I know we didn't, we won on penalties against Everton, but we were. You know, that was a good Leicester team that we, we just narrowly got knocked out against as well. So I think, you know, the, that, yeah. that team had shown what it was capable of, to be fair. Right. Yeah, that, that was probably the idea where we thought, you know, we can change. I think, that, you know, the away performance, you know, yeah, down there was, you know, we were unlucky. Case uh, of colour. Yeah, the two Cotty goals at the stadium are like killed us a little bit, but... Um, yeah, I think we, we were we were fairly confident that, you know, we could mix it with the big boys. Well, we will delve into that on another one and we hope you've enjoyed the season review. We've obviously done a, a few now and we we, we will um, get around to doing those next two seasons to start the, the Premier League because they're maybe not spoke about as much and as fondly as the ones we've just mentioned there, um, but there were two good seasons as well. So um, thanks to Kevin for joining us and, and speaking to us. Um, about those times and hopefully we'll be back to chat um, about the following two seasons as I've just said so thanks to all my guests mainly Kevin not bothered about it was really and thanks <laughs> that's fair to be honest yeah just being honest being honest and thanks for listening everybody Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.